0: Hello, good morning, and welcome to the Body by Patrick podcast. My name is Patrick Ocheny. I am here today with Veronica Yu, who is a registered dietitian. And today's topic is all going to be about how to improve your gut health, how to improve your gut health. All right, so please join me in welcoming Veronica to the show. Hey, Veronica, how are you?
1: Hi, Patrick, it's great to be here. I'm doing great, thank you.
0: Excellent. I am, look, I am super fired up, excited to have you on the podcast, Veronica, because, you know, as you well know, uh, I'm in the training industry. I, I, I train people as, as clients. I work with their bodies. But we both know, you've been a registered dietitian, that uh, you can train all you want, but if you don't get your nutrition and the inside of your body right, all your training might just be in vain, correct?
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, I think it's a a huge combination of both um, and working together and making sure that there's some good synergy there. Um, You're going to get results faster. You're going to feel better um, and those lasting results that everyone kind of desires. So, yeah, absolutely.
0: Excellent. Well, before we get into the main discussion, which is about gut health and how to improve gut health, what I want to do first is share a little background about you uh, what you've been up to, and how you got to be where you are today. Is that okay with you, Veronica?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I thank you.
0: All right, fantastic. Well, Veronica, for all of you who have never got a chance to meet her, first of all, she's a wonderful, wonderful person. I've met her in person. I've gotten a chance to know her and uh, her husband over the years. We go to church together. Such wonderful, wonderful people, Okay. Um, Veronica is a registered dietitian a registered and licensed dietitian in the Mid-Atlantic area. She specializes in pediatric nutrition as well as chronic disease management for adults. Now, she she provides one-on-one consultations for adults who want to take charge of their health, all right? Now, Veronica also has a Bachelor of Science degree in Applied Physiology and Kinesiology, from the University of Florida. So not only does she understand nutrition, she also understands how the body works. Now, after receiving her bachelor's degree, Veronica went on to receive her master's in nutrition from Florida International University. Prior to becoming a dietitian, she spent several years working as a health screener in underserved communities. So Veronica is passionate about nutrition, wellness, and empowering people to become healthier one bite at a time. Did I cover everything, Veronica?
1: Yeah, I think you summed it up pretty nicely. Um, Absolutely, Uh, I I would agree with all of that. Patrick, you are telling the truth. Um, Those are all (laughs) of my degrees and kind of my uh, broad work experience. So thank you for the great intro.
0: Well, thank you so much. Well, like you said, it is the truth. And the reason I'm excited to have you on the show, Veronica, is because uh, when I started this podcast a few months ago, my goal was very simple, to, pr- to bring together people, experts like yourself, very knowledgeable and passionate about the field, to give people knowledge they could go away, they could take away and use to better their health. So that's why I'm super, super excited to have someone of your caliber on this show. Okay. Now, before we get rolling, I just have a quick question for you. Okay? Sure. Uh, which, is, which is, why did you you know, become a registered dietitian? Is that something you've always wanted to do? You know how little kids when they're growing up, they're like, I want to become a doctor? Is that what you said to your mom as a little kid?
1: That's so funny that you mentioned that, Patrick. Actually, I was recently doing a career day for little kids um, or younger kids, and they actually asked me the exact same question. Um, And I had to think about it for a minute, and then I realized, you know, I think everything has kind of led me to this particular path when I was younger I knew I wanted to be in the health industry um, probably working with children as well I don't think I knew exactly what I wanted to do in the health industry I think like many young children like you mentioned I think I at the time maybe wanted to be a doctor or thought that's what I wanted to do and so what happened was during my bachelor's degree the last semester in um, learning kind of about exercise physiology and kinesiology, I actually interned for this semester with a dietitian, and she was absolutely amazing, inspiring, a true go getter woman. And during that time, I learned a lot more about nutrition and kind of that, like you said, you can't have the fitness aspect without the nutrition. And I figured, you know, I've I've got to really touch on all of my bases and strengthen my knowledge in nutrition. And so my next path during that internship, I actually applied to graduate school in nutrition. Um, I was accepted to the program, and that's kind of how my path continued in nutrition. And then so on to continue to my internship and um, therefore take the nutrition exam and become a registered dietitian. So I don't think I always knew is the short answer, but I think that one thing sort of led to another and kind of propelled me to follow this path.
0: Wow, very interesting. When I, as I listen to your story, Veronica, it sounds very similar to my story. Uh, yeah? People have asked, very much so. People have asked me, well, Patrick, how did you end up becoming a certified personal trainer? That's something you always want to do. And just like you, the answer is no. I mean, when I was a little kid, I wanted to become a doctor. Then I took a biology class and discovered that's not for me. Uh,
1: <laughs> but then
0: I ultimately end, up, ultimately end up becoming an engineer, an electrical engineer to be more specific. That's who I got my degree in. But uh, similar to your story, life event just kind of led me uh, to get involved in fitness and realizing that I really enjoy working with people and helping them transform their bodies you know, to a healthier place. So I can definitely, you know, relate to this story just here, which is very, very cool, very, very cool. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I think we do have a lot in common. I think the more we speak, the more we realize that as well.
0: Absolutely. Now, what I want to do first, though, also, before we delve into the main topic of today, which is how to improve gut health, I want to talk about, I want you to explain to me the difference between a nutritionist and a registered dietitian, because sometimes people get those two mixed up, so but there is a distinction, correct?
1: Yes, you're absolutely correct, yeah, it's a pretty common question, but I think there still is a lot of confusion about that um, sort of title. so to kind of get into it, I would say so unfortunately, anyone can really call themselves a nutritionist um, the The title itself is not really protected by the industry. And so what happens is the main difference is that someone who is a registered dietitian has the minimum of a bachelor's degree in nutrition. They can have as far as a master's or a PhD, but minimum of a bachelor's. They then have to complete a one-year accredited internship that they have to match with. And those matching dates are twice per year. So it's kind of similar to um, a dentist or a doctor who applying for certain programs and trying to match to them. Um, Once you complete that internship, then you are eligible to take the national exam. And so then one would sit for the national exam. And then after passing that national exam, a lot of states may require licensure. So, for example, the states of Washington, D.C., as well as Maryland require licensure. However, Virginia... Still believe does not require licensure at this time, but you still have to have passed that exam. You then have to have continuing education, of course, right? Everyone's favorite, where you collect a minimum um, of, depending on the different state and licensure requirements, um, you have to requ- you have to acquire a certain amount of continuing ed every two years to continue your licensure and every five years can continue your registration. And that's the kind of practitioner. Yeah, I know, it's pretty lengthy. Um, That's the kind of practitioner who can work in all settings, including a hospital, including the community, or outpatient. Now, a nutritionist, like I mentioned, the title is not protected. So really anyone, you know, um, kind of an influencer on Instagram can call themselves a nutritionist. However, they may not have um, the same sort of educational background as well as continuing education.
0: Well, very good. Well, Veronica, I'm so glad you mentioned Instagram. because, And that was the other reason why I wanted you to explain the distinction because nowadays, the, even though the Internet is a great tool and a great resource, the downside of the Internet is anybody can put up a page or an Instagram page to be more specific call themselves a nutritionist, and, you know, uh, start seeking clients, all right? So however, yeah. as, you pointed out, uh, as you pointed out very eloquently, that does not mean they have the same level of education and expertise as a registered dietitian that has gone through a very rigorous, rigorous study and, uh, and working with people in the real world. So I just wanted you to clarify that. So at the end of the day, I guess the moral of the story is, If someone is seeking the help of someone to help them with their nutrition, they should be uh, first thinking of getting with a registered, licensed dietitian, correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think especially for someone who's maybe, you know, really seeking certain uh, guidance, like if you have a certain medical disease where, you know, someone who's just calling themselves a nutritionist and on Instagram, taking pictures of healthy foods really might not be able to help them and could actually harm them. So it's really important that people are seeking the counseling of an actual professional in the field.
0: All right, fantastic. Well, I couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you, Veronica. So let's, sure. us dive, let's dive into today's topic, how to improve gut health. Now, before you go into, because I know you have some information prepared on uh, seven tips on how to improve gut health, God health. The first question I want to ask you about that is, what is your gut and what makes up your gut? Let's clarify that first for people to understand what that means.
1: Sure. So the gut really starts, in my opinion, in your mouth, right? Because that's where um, you're really starting the digestion process. So as soon as food, actually as soon as you smell food or as soon as you even see something, your salivary glands um, start kind of simbling and Uh, kind of alarming to the gut, telling them, okay, you know, we're preparing for food entering the body. So those kind of enzymes that start being released are actually the first process in that digestion. So as soon as something hits your mouth, um, it starts being broken down immediately. And so you have different kind of enzymes that start working together, um, as well as what we call the mastication process, right? So kind of chewing to really break down your food. That just that mouth process is huge in kind of um, releasing a lot of those enzymes and starting that digestion. Um, and then it starts going, right? So when we swallow, the food goes down through our esophagus, hopefully. Um, not down the wrong tube, as some people like to say. And then, right. it starts, then it enters the stomach, right? And so in that stomach as well, there's um, more enzymes that are being released. There's more of um, kind of just... I call it like a mishmash where things are mixing together um, and forming a substance actually called chyme. Um, and that chyme is kind of like this ball of food that then moves on to the small intestine and then the large intestine. So I would say the really the gut starts almost in the mouth, um, goes all the way through the large intestine and then kind of through our exit route, so through kind of the, the colon as well. Um, and then exits our body as needed. So it's a really long process, um, and there's a lot involved. And so kind of the more research I've done, you realize that the gut is just so important. Um, It affects our immune system. It affects how we feel. It either depends on how efficiently or not efficiently we're absorbing and digesting the nutrients that we take in. So it's a really kind of intricate process as well.
0: Wow. Well, uh, well explained, Veronica. Well explained. So now let's talk about um, how the gut becomes unhealthy, right? How does that, that whole process from the mouth throughout the rest of the body, uh, how does it become unhealthy? What are some causes of the, the, the gut becoming unhealthy?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And I think everybody's going to be a little bit different. Um, I think everyone has kind of a different tolerance to what could trigger the gut to become unhealthy or even stay healthy um, with a similar versus different diet. So I would say kind of thinking about, well, if it starts in the mouth, it's kind of about what we're putting inside of our mouths, right? So I think that if you're not fueling your body appropriately, you do have an increased risk of kind of having some damage done to your gut. And if you're actually, another reason that a lot of people, I think, have a damaged gut is through medications. So kind of these really strong medications, if you think about it, um, they, they're going through our gut as well, right? So our, our bloodstream is what kind of, it's, it's traveling through, but really it's, it's being digested through the gut as long as you're taking it through the mouth. Um, and then another particular medication would be antibiotics Um, so antibiotics are wiping out the bad bacteria which is you know sometimes absolutely needed and to to kind of help our our bodies heal but also wipes out our really good bacteria in our gut which can really influence how we feel um, and have some pretty damaging long-term effects as well
0: interesting now you mentioned antibiotics, you know.
1: Yeah.
0: Most peop most people I don't think when a when they uh take antibiotics makes the connection between how it impacts their gut and their overall health. So what you're saying is, you know, one shouldn't be so quick to wanna just uh uh what's it called? Imbibe or taking antibiotics whenever the opportunity presents itself. Unless, you know, of course in dire situations, right?
1: Right. Yeah, and I would definitely agree with that. And I think what happens is um, in our particular culture, I think people are often looking for kind of like this quick fix, Patrick, right, where they don't feel well, they immediately want to feel better, um, get back to their normal activities. They don't want to give their body a chance to kind of see what it can battle on its own, and they they seek out these antibiotics. Um, And these drugs are pretty powerful, And like I mentioned, sometimes they're absolutely needed if you really do have a bacterial infection. But what's happening is so much of the use is for inappropriate reasons. So, for example, if you have a common cold, if you have the flu, if you have just a virus, the antibiotics are not going to help you. Um, So if it's a virus that's building up in your body and you take something that's killing bacteria, you're not tackling that right organism. So, what's happening is the misuse of the antibiotics.
0: Oh, I see, I see. Well, now, let's talk about um, symptoms that one might be exhibiting uh, that will indicate that they have an unhealthy gut because a lot of people, you know, especially I, I, I come across a lot of clients that most of them want to lose weight, but not everybody makes the connection between uh, difficulties to lose weight and and an unhealthy gut so Would you be able to, could you please explain to us what are some symptoms or potential symptoms somebody could be having that suggest that they should look into their gut health?
1: Yeah, that's a great question because I think this applies to so many people, especially in our industry, who are really, they're having a hard time with weight loss or they're feeling really kind of lethargic. So getting into the symptoms, I would say lethargic is one, and lethargic kind of means like that tired, groggy feeling um, I also go along the lines of kind of brain fog. So just kind of feeling like maybe dizziness, kind of just a little bit out of it. Um, I'm bloating. <laughs> okay. Excuse me there. Tickle Sorry. Me you um, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: good.
1: Good thing I have my water by me.
0: Okay. Uh, that's what Pick I get it. for
1: having a whole wheat bread first thing in the morning, right? Um, so, so I kind of getting back to that brain fog, the bloating, um, I would say kind of various types of bowel movements So really inconsistent. So sometimes, um, constipation, sometimes diarrhea, this really big inconsistency. I would say kind of some more just mild abdominal pain. Um, and then I would say inability to kind of lose weight are really difficult times where people are you know, on these restrictive calorie diets and they're still not losing weight and they're kind of wondering why, Um, I would say those are all pretty big symptoms, just kind of not feeling your best, Um, where I think sometimes people are wondering, well, again, kind of what can I take to make myself feel better, but really it's kind of the opposite. It's really what are you currently doing that needs to change.
0: Wow, that's definitely a very... Very unique perspective a look, different way of looking at it. Would you would you include uh, joint pain as a uh, a potential symptom of uh, gut unhealthy uh, gut?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And what's happening? Joint pain is often related to inflammation, right? Um, and poor recovery. So what's happening is if the nutrients that you're taking into the mouth and uh, GI system aren't being absorbed properly. A lot of times that can lead to inflammation, or if you're kind of not having the most helpful diet, certainly can lead to inflammation in the
0: joints as well. Wow, interesting. So somebody could be uh, having pain in your knees, on the joints right now, I mean, in their shoulders or whatever part of the body, but not realizing that um, it could all be connected with their gut health. That's very interesting. So now let's talk about. So we talk about the symptoms of uh, unhealthy gut. I'm sure somebody who's listening right now is thinking, okay, well, that could be me. Now, how do I fix this problem? How do I get back to a healthy gut? So uh, I believe you have some tips for us on how to improve uh, uh, an unhealthy gut. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I certainly do. Um, I'll list them all out, and then I can kind of go over them one by one, so that way we make sure that we kind of chat about each one. Um, I know you'll have some good insight as well.
0: All right, perfect. That sounds good to me.
1: Great. So number one is water. Um, I think water is a super important nutrient that people sometimes discount its power. So number one, water. Um, Number two, fiber. So that would be um, insoluble as well as soluble. And then our prebiotic fibers. Number three, probiotics, super important. Um, Again, kind of replenishing the gut bacteria that a lot of times we're wiping out through those antibiotics. Number four, omega-3s. Number five is bone broth, which is a really neat one that I've been learning um, a lot about recently. Number six would be our healthy fats. Again, kind of our feared fats. Bringing them back into the diet. And number seven, Patrick, is going to be exercise. So I know you'll have a lot to add on that one um, as yes. well Yes, you're kind of really full throttle into
0: it. Absolutely. Wow, that's a very, that's an awesome list. Uh, let me just go over it one more time to make sure everybody's got it. So you say number one is water, uh, number two mm-hmm. is fiber, insoluble uh, and insoluble fiber, probiotics, omega 3s. Bone broth, healthy fat, and my favorite <laughs> exercise. <laughs> All That's right, so let's. About not, it. Yeah, well, no, let's let, let's not circle back to water, okay? So when you say water, what does that mean? Does that mean like people drinking enough water or a certain kind of water? And so, what do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, so I would say, so not particularly a certain type of water. I know there's a lot of new waters out there, alkaline um, versus, you know, our just our typical spring water versus, who knows, coconut waters. Um, there's a lot. But you know what? I think kind of some, some good old-fashioned clean water, um, as long as it's filtered and clean, um, I would actually avoid waters with added minerals. A lot of times if you drink certain bottled waters, you're actually just filtering it and then, What's happening is they're adding in things like calcium chloride. Um, Personally, I'm not interested in drinking any chloride, so I like to just filter my own water um, and kind of go for it that way. Bottled water, if it's spring water, is a good choice too. Um, Certainly alkaline water may have some benefits, but again, kind of we're going to talk about water in the more broad scheme of just getting enough.
0: I think what's happening
1: is, oh, yeah, go ahead.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, and how much water is enough? Like, how much water should someone like me drink, for example, who's active, like to work out? Like, how much water should someone be drinking a given day to make sure that they are helping better the gut health?
1: Yeah, and that's a great question. I think that's going to be pretty individualized. Where if you kind of work with a registered dietitian or another healthcare professional. To If you want those numbers, I think that that's a helpful way to get them. But I think the truth is you just you have to be drinking enough to be using the bathroom probably uh, several times a day. I recently actually had a client who told me um, she's only going to the bathroom once per day. So that to me is a huge sign. Um, and going to the bathroom, I'll, I'll put it in kiddo terms, but number one. So if you're only using the bathroom once or twice per day, Um, You're only getting up from from your work desk once or twice. That's not enough. So that's a sign you certainly need to be drinking more water. And I would also go by the color of your urine. So you want your urine to be a really pale, pale yellow. So kind of versus calculating someone's water needs, I actually use the urine as an indicator. If your urine is looking pretty concentrated or even moderately concentrated, that's a sign right there that you're not drinking enough water. Mm, Um, If you're athletic and you're sweating, right, you have much higher water needs. So instead of trying to calculate how much you're sweating, it's a good idea to be drinking at least one cup before, at least one to two cups during activity, and then at least two cups right after activity. Um, I always recommend just drinking room temperature water. It's much easier for the body to tolerate and absorb versus drinking really cold water sometimes can ex- excite the gut a little bit too much and cause some cramping.
0: Okay. Now, speaking of activities and uh, staying hydrated during while performing activities, what's your take on, you know, people wanting to drink stuff like Gatorade because they feel they need additional electrolytes?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, And I think that, again, Gatorade is one of those things where it has become a little bit misused. Um, Gatorade was actually designed for athletes to replenish their electrolytes, like you mentioned, in a fast way with um, that addition of the carbohydrates so that the water can be digested a little bit faster. And then you have your sodium in there. And I don't even know if Gatorade includes a little bit of potassium, but you really... I would say for our everyday kind of person who's maybe just working out an hour or so at the gym or 30 minutes, not really profusely sweating, um, our body's going to do a pretty nice job in managing its electrolytes fairly well without needing a replenishment. Kind of that sugary substance during the workout can actually make you feel a little bit not well. Um, and it's just really not necessary. If your goal is to kind of burn extra calories and really stay physically active, I think taking in extra sugars through any kind of liquid substance is probably not ideal. So I don't usually recommend Gatorade unless it's for someone who's working out um, either outdoors and profusely sweating or for multiple hours in a row.
0: Well, awesome. Well, thank you for clarifying that because, that has been my thought process too. Whenever I get a new client and they bring a bottle of Gatorade to our session, and I ask them, why do you have a bottle of Gatorade? You do not need that. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's, good, it's good to know that you, uh, you uh, kind of confirm my, uh, my suspicions also. So, all right, awesome. Now, let's move on to the next one. Uh, otherwise, we'll spend all day on just water. Uh, So you talked about fiber and uh, insoluble versus soluble fiber. Could you please first explain the difference in in the two?
1: Sure. So soluble fiber um, is the type of fiber that basically absorbs water to form kind of this gel-like substance. Um, And so it then softens the stool to help it kind of move out and any sort of waste or defecation that needs to come out um, through the body. So, really good for us. Um, it's pretty, I would say it's common. It's found in beans, peas, oats, barley, fruits, and then avocados. Um, so, could you, then, could you go through
0: that list? Sorry, could yeah. you go through that list? Again? Yeah, you sure. said uh, beans?
1: Sure. Beans, peas, oats, barley, fruit, and avocado. So, kind of more of our grains, our starches, that kind of stuff.
0: Okay, good.
1: And then insoluble, yeah, go ahead.
0: No, no, go ahead, go
1: ahead, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Okay, so insoluble fiber is kind of that, what I call the roughage type, Um, and that fiber helps things to continue to move through your body. And I want to say both types of fiber are actually wonderful. We need a combination of both types of fiber um, to prevent constipation to grab cholesterol molecules that are kind of building up in our body and pull them out through our GI tract.
0: And going off of that, the insoluble
1: fiber is going to be found in kind of this roughage that I mentioned. So leafy greens and veggies, so kind of our kales, our spinach, broccoli, those types of things, nuts, grains, and seeds.
0: Nuts, grains, and seeds.
1: Exactly.
0: So those are the, the nuts, grains, and seeds fall under the insoluble fiber, correct?
1: Yes, and sometimes they're going to have both types of fiber. So I want to mention that too. There's a lot of things where, um, for example, grains, right? I would consider barley a grain. Um, and barley, we talked about that, that's a lot of soluble fiber. And then there is also some insoluble fiber.
0: Okay. So an ideal scenario, you want to be having a diet that is abundant in both insoluble and soluble fiber. Right. All right, fantastic. Now, you also mentioned prebiotics. What does that fall in?
1: Prebiotic is going to be kind of a type of fiber as well, um, where the prebiotic fiber is actually feeding the good bacteria to allow it to do its job, right? So just like our typical cells need energy, Um, to do their jobs, same thing. So the good bacteria in our gut, so those probiotics, actually feed off of the prebiotics um, to basically feed and have their functions.
0: Okay. Wow, awesome. So we need prebiotics to make the good bacteria do their job. That's fantastic. Exactly. Nice. Uh, Now, here's the question. How do you know, just like we, we, we talked about, you know, signs that you might be dehydrated or not drinking enough water. How do you know that you are deficient in fiber consumption, like you're not eating enough fiber in your diet?
1: Sure. I would say the main things are going to be, like, irregular bowel movements and then primarily constipation. So, for example, I see a lot of kids with really bad constipation. Most of the time they're just not consuming adequate fruits and vegetables.
0: Okay, cool. So that's the main uh, indicator of uh, a low-fiber diet.
1: Yeah, and then another one would be kind of some, if you have your blood work done, and this is not really a symptom because you wouldn't necessarily feel this, but a lot of times people have cholesterol buildup um, because they're not taking in enough fiber. So like I mentioned earlier, the fiber helps to pull the cholesterol, the bad cholesterol, out of our bodies and so if you're not taking enough fiber, your cholesterol numbers can go up.
0: Wow, interesting. Is that now is that uh, both the good cholesterol is that the bad cholesterol you're referring to or the quote unquote good cholesterol?
1: Yeah, that would be the bad cholesterol. The good cholesterol is so the HDL, that's gonna be boosted up by actually taking in um, healthy fats. And then of course our favorite exercise.
0: Correct. Wow, awesome. So I, I had no idea that was the case. So by not consuming enough fiber, you could have a bad cholesterol buildup. So before yeah. somebody, so someone listening right now where their cholesterol level, the bad cholesterol level, which is LDL, is high, they might, they might want to take a look at their diet and make sure they're not uh, deficient in fiber. Hmm. Exactly. Interesting, interesting. Very cool. All right, awesome. So now let's move on to the next item, which was uh, probiotics, okay? So what are those and uh, how do they help with your uh, gut health?
1: Sure. So the probiotics are the good bacteria that actually improve our gut function and enhance our immune system, right? So we've talked about how so much of our immune system is related to our gut function, so keeping one healthy really kind of works um, synergistically to keep the other one functioning well as well Um, and so the probiotics right sometimes those get wiped out when we take that course of antibiotics so it's necessary to get some back in I would also recommend having probiotics on a daily basis this doesn't necessarily mean that you have to take the caplet form of it um, or the pill form but it's naturally found in many foods so some foods that it's going to be naturally found in would be a yogurt other fermented foods like sauerkraut, kimchi, and then kombucha okay and so what's happening? yeah, so what's happening unfortunately is with the yogurt industry is a lot of them um, are so highly pasteurized that they're killing off a lot of the bacteria, so pasteurization heats the yogurt to a very high temperature, um, but just for a quick second, and so unfortunately, the bacteria. Are, are kind of dying off in that process. So you want to find a more natural yogurt. Um, and if you are kind of pregnant or you're immune compromised, you certainly don't want to be having unpasteurized foods. So, again, these recommendations aren't for everyone, um, and it's always good to check with your doctor before you're starting new new supplements or new foods.
0: Those are definitely a great insight. Now, is there, is there a, a certain brand of... Um probiotic that you recommend for the general for the general public
1: in terms of the capital what you're saying
0: yeah, yeah in terms of yeah if, if someone wanted to supplement with probiotics as opposed to you know getting it directly from food um, is there a certain brand that uh, you know that you can uh, recommend
1: sure I can recommend the brand that I take Um, There's actually a lot of mixed research on probiotic supplementation, and I think um, basically short-term use sounds like it's pretty safe. Um, Long-term use possibly has some negative effects, so I wouldn't recommend long-term use of it. But the brand that I would recommend is actually Garden of Life. That's the brand that I take. And interestingly, Patrick, you'll enjoy this. So have you ever seen that there is probiotic supplements that are in the refrigerator as opposed to on the shelf? Yes. Yeah. And so I actually did more research on it because I was a little bit curious about it. And the research that I came up with found that one that is on the shelf and actually states that it's shelf-stable is a much higher quality. And the reason for that is that if the product is shelf-stable, it's going to pass through your GI tract to where it needs to go, usually the small bowel, at a much more efficient rate versus being killed by your stomach acid because the product is more self-stable. So in terms of being more stable, you want to find something that is stable so that it can get to where it wants to go to. Wow.
0: I definitely did not know yeah. that. I would, have, I would have thought the opposite would have been true. Yep,
1: I agree with you.
0: Wow. I guess it depends on the application of you know, how you're trying to apply the product or the supplement, yeah. right? So in this case you want it to work a certain way. So having a shelf stable I guess, now you know, now that you've explained it, it makes a lot of sense.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right, fantastic. Now, oh, going back to the prebiotics, are there some yeah. uh ways we can get that into our body? Like what what are the different ways we can get you said you mentioned the type of fiber. Um but how, yeah. how, can, how can we get that into a body?
1: Um, and so the prebiotic, um, you can find, sometimes they have them in those, like, fiber gummies. Um, those are going to be our prebiotic fibers, too. And so, like, things, um, you'll see the ingredient list. One would be inulin. So inulin is a prebiotic fiber. Again, that kind of feeds that good bacteria as well as um, Benafiber. fiber is a supplement that also has the prebiotic
0: fiber. Now, similar to probiotics, um, yeah. is prebiotics something you recommend which should have every day?
1: Well, so the nice thing is that you can get some of the prebiotics through um, a lot of that food that we're eating. Um, so, for example, kind of through um, t- some of those, again, those fibrous foods, right? So different types of fruits and vegetables have those prebiotics as well in, that, in their fiber form. So in terms of do you need to eat them every day, yeah, you should probably eat them every day, but they're probably in a lot of the foods that you already are eating if you're consuming a well-balanced diet with lots of fruits and veggies. If you don't think that you're consuming enough, then probably um, a good idea to do some sort of fiber supplementation.
0: Okay. Well, I, I'm glad you mentioned the phrase well-balanced diet uh, because nowadays, I mean, especially when you go online, there's a lot of different, well, millions of different kinds of diets um, suggesting people eliminate certain kind of, you know, so, some form of, uh, uh, what's it called, a category of food, you know. So but based on what you've said so far, it seems like if one wants to not eat a well-balanced diet, there's a, a risk of you not getting in your body enough fiber, for example, because you get fiber from certain kind of foods. So if I were to just eat, I don't know, if I was to just eat, um, you know, potatoes all day long, right? So with, that wouldn't be a, that wouldn't be a definition of a well balanced diet, correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I look at it this way: you choosing a well balanced diet means really adding a lot of color to your day. So if you aim for lots of different colors, so reds and oranges and yellows and greens, you're probably doing a good job. And if your diet looks pretty bland, like the color of potatoes, um, and most of the things that you eat are kind of this brownish beige color, you're probably not getting all the vitamins and minerals that your body really needs to do its job.
0: Excellent. Well, that's a great way of looking at it. So let's move on to the next thing, which is omega-3s. Now, why is that important, you know, in terms of our gut health?
1: So omega-3s, are um, they're essential fatty acids, which means that the body can't produce them on its own. So you need to be taking them in because the body has no way of making them. Um, the omega-3s are good for our mental health. They reduce inflammation. Um, and they actually can also, they're good for our heart health. So they can reduce our triglycerides in the blood. And I know that you've talked a lot in the past about triglycerides in, in your other podcast. So you're certainly well-versed in that. So the omega-3s have some really amazing advantages.
0: Um, And, again,
1: kind of this all goes back, right, if our gut is inflamed, um, that's not going to work well. Our inflammation is kind of building up and goes to different parts of the body. But if your gut is not inflamed um, and it's kind of feeling relaxed, it it has this anti-inflammation from taking in enough omega-3s, then the rest of the body can work well as well.
0: Fantastic. Now let's talk about sources. You said the body does not produce omega-3s by itself. So what's what are some best sources of uh, omega-3s?
1: Yeah, great question. So there's four types of omega-3s. Basically, I'm gonna not go over all four because they're these fancy long names, but they are kind of the variety of the all four are gonna be found in leafy greens, chia and flax seeds. Oily fish such as wild-caught salmon, mackerel, sardines, and then my favorite one is walnuts. So a Walnut. variety of sources. Um, probably our, one of our most concentrated is going to be in these fatty fish, so the salmon, but you have to make sure that it's the wild-caught to really reap the benefits.
0: Wild-caught. Excellent. That's So you said chia seeds, flax seeds, sardines, walnuts, and the wild-caught salmon.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: Okay. And then, of and course, think... we can
1: do our supplementation, right? So if none of these foods appeal to you, it's really hard for someone to get these in. I would recommend taking um, a wild-caught omega-3 um, supplementation. So it's kind of those larger-sized gel caplets. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think you kind of got to get it in. So if these foods are not oh. for you it's okay to supplement.
0: Okay, good. Now, so I'm glad you mentioned the fact that uh, omega-3s are essential. It says that your body does not produce it, and you have to get them in your body to, re- to help reduce inflammation. So that's very, 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 very key information. All right, so now let's move on to, because I know we're approaching an hour, and I know you've got uh, other projects and things you've got to do. Uh, let's move on to bone broth. All right, so bone broth, I'm pretty, I'm pretty interested to know how that helps with gut health.
1: Yeah, sure. So bone broth is similar to our typical chicken broth um, or beef broth, but different at the same time. What makes them so different is that the actual chicken or, or beef bone broth, the bones are cooked for a very long period of time. And what happens is um, in that process, some of the bone mineral starts kind of breaking up. Um, And it is able to release a lot of those amazing nutrients into the broth. So then when one drinks the broth or uses it as a soup base, they're able to reap the benefits. Um, And some of those awesome um, minerals and sort of nutrients that are being let out are going to include collagen, proline, glycine, and glutamine. And so you'll recognize those. a lot of amino acids Um, But that collagen really sticks out. So the collagen helps to repair the gut. Um, And so kind of if you've ever heard this term, leaky gut syndrome. So that's basically these little, yeah, right? So it's kind of a a new words that are coming together and coming out and people are, are questioning about it. So what that's telling us is that there's kind of these little kind of leaks basically in the gut. And so how we repair those leaks is by providing these nutrients such as the collagen, um, from the bone broth to help repair the gut. So really, it's, it's an amazing product. You can either buy it um, already made in health food stores. It comes in something similar looking to chicken or beef broth, but it will say bone broth. Um, or you can certainly make it yourself in a slow cooker.
0: Okay. Now, um, going back to get it from the store, is it something you find in the refrigerator section or on the shelf?
1: Both. So I have found it in the refrigerated section as well as on the shelf.
0: Huh. Now, which one is bad for you? Which version?
1: Um, you know what? I'm going to say if you have the choice, um, I don't know that there's going to be a really direct answer to that. And the reason is that the collagen, the proline, the glycine, um, those are amino acids that are going to be able to kind of stay in the product um, without necessarily disintegrating. I'm going to say, especially, and collagen is not an amino acid, but it's, it's a great protein um, that it, I would say it's going to be fairly shelf-stable. So I think whatever you can get your hands on is going to be my answer to that.
0: Okay, fantastic. Now, you said bone broth. The first thing that comes to my mind right away is, what about those who are vegans? Um, would they be able to, how, how can they get bone broth into the system without – you know, compromising, you know, their way of life, so to speak?
1: Yeah, and the answer to that is I would say it's going to be pretty difficult around it um, because it is a product that is using animal parts. So if you feel really strongly about kind of um, your particular beliefs about veganism, um, I don't think that this product is necessarily for you.
0: So, is there, so there's no equivalent of like a, a vegan bone broth? <laughs> does that, does that, there is that exist? no,
1: because, right, so if you're not using the animal bones, you're not able to reap the the collagen and the proline, the glycine, the glutamine um, from all of that product. So, um, unfortunately, no, and I think that that's where kind of some somewhat restrictive diets um, will lack in certain nutrients that the body may actually really benefit from.
0: Okay, cool. All right, so number six, healthy fats which healthy fat, which is interesting because um, nowadays, again, there's so many diets out there, and some of them, um, what do you call it, uh, bash, you know, carbs, and some of them bash uh, fat. So, uh, so I'm very interested, again, in uh, you explaining how healthy fats, that fats are not bad for you, especially healthy fats are not bad for you, and how they can help you improve your gut health, which invariably helps with your overall health. So you have this speaker.
1: Yeah. So, and I, I think this is kind of like our society has shifted a lot throughout the past, you know, 50 to 75 years. Where at first it was shaming the fats, and now it's shaming the carbs, and it's kind of finding the balance between all of this. But we really want to incorporate some healthy fats, and I think learning to be, um, to kind of incorporate fats back into the diet is sometimes challenging for people, especially if they've kind of lived this low-fat lifestyle in the past. So healthy fats are super satisfying for our gut, right? So when our gut is satisfied, it's not always kind of creating these cravings to the brain. And so that's where I think it it can help, especially you achieve your fitness goals, for example, because if your gut is feeling satisfied, you're not releasing kind of and having all these cravings where you're then um, going for more carbohydrate-based foods that are usually typically people's trigger foods for cravings. So I encourage people to not be afraid of fats. Include healthy fats. Um, some of my favorites are going to be nuts and seeds, avocados, olives, olive oil, grass-fed meats, and even butter. So grass-fed butter, um, where you're getting kind of these fats from their natural sources. Um, again, really satisfying to the gut and can help in repairing the gut. Um, as well as will allow your body to absorb fat-soluble vitamins, which not only helps your gut, but helps your whole body to, again, just do its job more efficiently.
0: Wow. Very good information. Very good information. Now, when, talk, does quantity, when it comes to bone broth and healthy fats, uh, does quantity matter and, and, and also frequency? So how much should one be consuming to be able to reap the benefits of you know, consuming bone broth and healthy fats? And how often should I do it?
1: Great question. So I think if you're in the gut repair phase, you've had some trouble, Um, I would say we want to really try and maximize our bone broth, right, because that's what's going to help repair the gut. So I would say probably two cups of bone broth per day, so one in the morning, one in the afternoon or evening, Um, until you're kind of feeling like, the gut is acting a bit more normally. And then maintenance, I would say, would be probably a half a cup to one cup per day for maintenance of bone broth. Um, In terms of healthy fat, I would say including them probably for during meals and snacks um, without overdoing it. So, for example, one serving size of an avocado would be a half an avocado or about a quarter cup of nuts and seeds. Um, And having those maybe two to three times per day would be great.
0: Okay, good. Now, going back to the bone broth, um, if you're in the repair stage, are you just exclusively drinking bone broth or are you consuming it with other food also?
1: Um, I think it really just depends on the severity of the gut inflammation and sort of, quote, the leakiness. Um, If it's really in in a a desperate need of repair and maybe, you know, having it primarily with a more bland diet um, and then reincorporating the same food that you used to eat again. I I think having just bone broth throughout the day is going to be pretty restrictive for the average consumer, so I wouldn't recommend that for for most people.
0: Okay, sounds good. All right, now uh, now we're at the last tip you gave us, on how to improve uh, your gut health, which is exercise. All right, my expertise. So, but let's but let's talk about when it comes to exercise. Uh, what do you advocate? Um, cardio versus weightlifting. What, what's your take on that?
1: Um, I would kind of. In- First thing is just get moving, right? If exercise, the thought of it kind of overwhelms someone, um, my thought is just get moving. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Do something where you can tolerate it. You can walk. You can dance. You can, you know, bike. Whatever just makes you feel like, okay, I can, I can do that because we want to empower people, right? And if, we, if I put someone on an exercise prescription and they actually hated it, Um, They hated every bit of doing the elliptical. That's not going to work for them. So my first thought is just do whatever you can tolerate to get moving. Um, Next thing kind of in in the more aggressive stage would be incorporating different exercises. So I I usually say at least two to four days of strength training per week. Um, And I try to aim for, or have my clients as well, aim for like 30 minutes of cardio per day. Um, I really like the balance between the two. And I also think that um, that's really going to reap the most benefits in terms of internal benefits, that combination. Now, if your one priority is really physical appearance, then I'm not sure that that workout plan is going to be designed for you. Um, And you would probably know even more than I do about the subject.
0: Yes, yes, you're absolutely right about that. But I like your approach of just getting started. If you're not moving right now, Get started, get moving, doing something you love, and then just kind of build on top of that over time as you become healthier and stronger over time. All right, so I definitely uh, subscribe to that line of uh, line of thinking. So wow, that has been a lot of very very valuable information. I mean, I could, I mean, I could probably keep talking to you for days on end about this subject matter that is so so important to our overall health. By the way, guys, if you're just joining in the podcast, this, you're listening to the Body by Patrick podcast with registered dietitian Veronica Yu. And she's been talking in great length about how to improve your gut health. All right. So, uh, so Veronica, just kind of to wrap this up uh, a little bit, I know you've got a busy day ahead of you. And once again, I want to thank you so much for coming on. It is, you came on at 8 o'clock in the morning. Okay. So <laughs> that is that is highly highly impressive to wake up that early to do this for me and my, and my audience. So I really appreciate it. So now if somebody's listening right now and they're like, my goodness, that's a lot of information, but um, how do I put all this together into a program and they want to reach out to you to get additional help or even more information? What is the best way for people to reach you, Veronica? Uh,
1: Good question. The best way to reach me is probably just to go to my website. Um, they can contact me directly through the website, and that website is verolutionnutrition.com. So that's V-E-R-O-L-U-T-I-O-N nutrition.com. Um, okay, they can fantastic. Ju- yeah, so they can contact me directly through that for if they do want some more information, Patrick. Thanks for mentioning that.
0: You're so welcome. I mean, I, I think uh I mean if anybody's even on defense or they have any kind of question about whether or not they're having kind of gut health issues, uh they should definitely reach out to you. and I'm glad again in the beginning you you're able to uh mention different explain the difference between nutritionist and a registered dietitian. I think anybody listening to this podcast so far would clearly see the benefits in having a registered dietitian on your side as you try to achieve better, better health, all right? So once again, Veronica, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your time. I think we need to bring you back in the future and, and talk more uh, maybe on a different topic about how people can improve their health and live higher quality life. What do you say?
1: I think that sounds great. Yeah, I'd love that. I think we, we pick each other's brains really nicely.
0: Okay. Awesome. I I would love that myself. Well, let me let you go. Have yourself a super fantastic uh, rest of the day, Veronica, and uh, I will be talking to you soon.
1: Okay. Thanks for having me, Patrick. Have a great day, too.
0: Thank you. Bye for now.
1: Bye.